It's a difficult day, Good Friday, because thinking about Jesus' cross makes us think, you know, therefore, about death. And nobody likes thinking about death. But the cross brings us back there to that cold, hard, dark reality. The whole human race, and everything else for that matter, seems to be caught up in the tractor beam of death. What do you think we should expect after we all die? What do you think will happen in the end? I thought this Good Friday we might cut right to that sort of stuff because, well, because we can. Because Jesus was actually all about those kinds of answers in what he taught us. And so in the Bible, we find answers to those very kind of things. And, and this text we've just opened, in Revelation chapter 20, Jesus has been showing his friend John a vision of the end. And so we can just sit here today and read this and, and, and we can know what's eventually coming in the end. And the first thing we learn here in this vision is that there will be a judgment at the end. A judgment for all humankind. God will judge everyone according to how they have lived. And then after that judgment, some people will go into a lake of fire, verse 15, which which obviously doesn't sound very good. And indeed, if you glance back up to verse 10, the lake of fire is about torment that never, ever ends. But some will be spared that fire and they will be taken instead into everlasting life. We might come back to that everlasting life part on on Easter Sunday. But today, Good Friday, let's think more about this judgment that first determines who goes where. I mean, that's got to be vital for us to know, right? Let's look at John's vision in Revelation 20 and, and verse 11 and let's see what we see. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The great white throne, verse 11, and him seated on it, that's talking about God. This is referring to God's righteous presence. We will face judgment by a holy and powerful God. Not in some district court somewhere by some government lackeys. No, in the very presence, and by the perfect standard, of God. And that is a terrifying prospect, as even the setting here in, in verse 11 continues to make clear. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. If creation itself is terrified at this prospect, with nowhere to run to or hide, then then we're missing the gravity of how serious this is. If we somehow feel comfortable or or okay with all of this, judgment is not meant to sound appealing, and most certainly not if it's a judgment by Almighty God. And the scale of this judgment is thorough and complete. Nobody will escape as John's vision goes on. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Yes, this comes after we have died. This is for even the dead, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them. There will be nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, even the greatest among us. Even the dead who have been dead for all time will be raised to face this judgment. 
This is a final reckoning at, at the very, very end for all humankind. So the answer to that question, you know, of, of how does it all end, is with judgment. All humankind will be brought before God to face judgment. And the details of that judgment are given to us here as well in verse 12. We should be careful uh, to pay very close attention so that we don't get this wrong. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. This judgment will all happen by the books. Books were opened, verse 12 says, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And what we have done is what we will be judged by. It's according to what we have done, it says. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus said that we will give an account for every careless word that we speak. How many careless words have you spoken? What else beyond words have you done? All of it written in those books, we can suppose. Do you think then anyone will be cleared in this judgment? No, friends, I don't think so. Everyone will be found guilty by the account in those books. And so all of us should therefore go into that fire. And yet notice too, in the middle of that verse, verse 12, the, the other book there, the book of life. The books record everyone's sin and their guilt, but this, this book of life seems to record those who will be saved. Verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there are books in this vision and then this other book. The books will declare all of us guilty. They have the record of all of our sin. But the book of life can keep us out of the fire. If our names are found written in that book. You see, the book of life is a book of salvation. We can be saved from that lake of fire into which, by our own deeds, we should otherwise go. It's not that anyone's going to be saved, you know, being innocent of all sin. And if anyone cares to disagree, I guess they can just check the books when they get there. No, no, no. We are saved from a fire we deserve. That's why it's called being saved. And we are saved not by the books, which are full of what we have done to earn fire, but by this other book, this book of life that, that seemingly overrules our record of wrongs. That's the book that saves us. And so that's the book we need to hone in on. 
If you scan a little further along the page with your eyes in, into chapter 21 and verse 27, you'll see that the book of life belongs to the Lamb. Those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be saved. And the Lamb is speaking about Jesus. The book of life that can save us is his. And the one question that should be burning into the back of our brains is, how do I get my name into that book? I know what will be written about me in those other books, although there'd be so much written in them about me and my sin that I'll have forgotten about most of it until I see it there in writing. No, 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 I know what's in those books. I need to be written down rather in this other book, the Lamb's Book of Life, the book that can overrule all that sin and and save me from that lake of fire. Well, that book belongs to Jesus. And in chapter 13 and verse 8, and again in chapter 17 and verse 8, we're told that the names of the people that are written into that book were written there since before the world existed. Before the world existed, they were written into that book, such that everyone whose name was not written into the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, they will reject the Lamb of God. They will reject Jesus and they will follow instead the devil into that lake of fire. Check with me and see for yourself. Revelation 13 and verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Some kind of evil henchman for Satan, if you want to read through it more later. All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who will slain. So if your name will be found in the Lamb's book of life, it's because your name is already in there. God wrote it in there before you began, before he created the world. And so, how can you know? I mean, I mean, now, how can you know? Before, before getting to this judgment, how can we know if our name is in there in the Lamb's book of life? If your name is in there, Jesus will call you to him like a shepherd calls his sheep. And you will follow. In John chapter 10, Jesus switched up this metaphor and he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. When the good shepherd has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He will call us and we will follow if we are his. This is heavy stuff, I know. But I mean, it's Good Friday. And Jesus did die on that cross, after all. And so we have to be thinking in this kind of space. And this judgment at the end and these two different outcomes, it's, it's actually all central to understanding Jesus, this, this lamb on that cross. It, it's actually the reason 
he came like he did. Because the Lamb came to us early. He came ahead of the judgment. And he's called the Lamb because he laid down his life on that cross. He was a sacrificial Lamb offered up in our place. You see, we all deserve judgment. It's written in those books. But God so loved us that he sent us his Son, so that all of God's judgment for our sin could come down on Jesus instead of coming down on us. Jesus laid down his life to take the penalty for our sin. Which means that we who belong to Jesus won't be punished at the end when this judgment does come. Our sin will be written in those books, but our penalty was already taken by Jesus. To trust in Jesus is to trust in that, that God's right judgment of our sin has now fallen on him. If we trust Jesus for that, then then we belong to him. Or as our text puts it here, our name is written in his book of life. The second death in, in the lake of fire, verse 15, it, it, it does not apply to us if we trust in Jesus. And it cannot apply to us because our sin has been paid for by him. We are written in his book. So we must not make any mistake with this. Those books of our deeds will be perfectly clear You know, we'll be found guilty, friends, on account of our sin. We will all be found guilty on account of our sin. But our deeds in those books will be overruled by the Lamb's book of life if we are in there because he has now paid for our sin. And thinking about all these things, you know, about this lamb and and the death that he died for our sin and the book of life, which was filled up with names before he created the world, perhaps we could reflect this Good Friday and all of these things through Jesus' eyes. So, for example, if Jesus had our names in his book before the world began, then I guess he knew that when he went to that cross. Wouldn't you think? So, you know, when when the guards had him blindfolded and they were hitting him and, and saying, prophesy, who of us hit you? Did Jesus know not only all their names, but which of those names were written in his book? As those Romans nailed him to the cross, did Jesus know not just the why, but the who for? Which of those soldiers' names were written in his book? Which ones he was dying for to save from that fire? As he looked down from the cross and said to some of those gathered, Mother, your son, and son, your mother, did did he say that knowing that they were family forever? on account of his book? The thief dying beside him who called on his name, and did Jesus say to him, Today you'll be with me in paradise, not just because that man turned to him and sought mercy, but but because Jesus knew that man's name had always been written in his book? 
Jesus knew each name, surely, and every one that was written in his book. Surely he knew as he suffered and bled and died on the cross, praying, Father, forgive them. Jesus didn't go hoping or hypothetically onto that cross. As if, you know, if only he does this, maybe some will believe. And theoretically thereafter, he'd have some kind of flock that he could think of as his. No. No, this was not some theological lottery by Jesus, hoping to save someone from fire. He went there knowingly and because of his book in which was written before he created the world the names that had been given to him. In John chapter 17, just hours before all this at the cross, Jesus had prayed intensely, thanking the Father for those whom he had given to him. He knew who they were. Their names were written in his book. And then despite all the anguish, the agony, the pleading about whether there be any other way, he he went to the cross for them because their names were written in his book. Names from the past, names from the present, names from the future still. Jesus, Jesus went to the cross knowing you, every one of you, who had been given to him. Jesus went lovingly, surrendering his body as a once-for-all sacrifice to pay for the sin of all who'd been written in his book. So much to think about this Good Friday, but let me try to wrap all these things up together for now. Good Friday is all about judgment. The judgment of our sin which should send us to the fire, falling on Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the penalty of our sin. We can all still expect to face judgment. And we can expect there to be no mistakes in those heavenly books. But the Lamb has got written down his people and he died for their sin. So with their penalty paid, they will be saved. They will not go into fire, but into life with him. You know, there is no other way to be saved from that judgment. The first books won't clear us. That much is clear. And there is no third kind of book. And so we must come back again to that big question. I mean, we're definitely written all through those first books for all of our sin, but is our name written in that other book, the one that can override all our sin? And again, here's how you can know. If your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, he will call you and call you to him. And you will hear him calling and you'll follow You will heed his call to repent of your sin and you will look upon that Good Friday cross and you will come to trust that his sacrifice has paid for your sin. And that truth will humble you for the rest of your life and keep you at the foot of his cross, desperately always calling on him. Like the thief who was dying, Jesus knew he was his and so he drew that man's heart to call upon him. 
And you'll prioritise Jesus above everything else because only he saves. You'll follow him and let him reshape your thinking, your motives, your life. Because even before your life was a thing, you belonged to him. You won't respond to any of those things if you don't belong to Jesus. But if you do respond, and if you're letting him bring you into these things, then you can be confident that your name is his. Think then about the assurance that this truth gives you, that God has written you down even before Jesus died on that Good Friday cross. Let that truth soak into you this Good Friday and fill your life with assurance and spring new life up inside you as you come all the more fully to him. Surely you can trust him with everything else in the meanwhile, if he's so surely got you covered in the end. But what if you aren't sure about these things just yet? You know, you can kind of hear that he's calling, but it's only a whisper. So like he's whispering these things into the ears of your heart of, of repentance and trust in his sacrifice for sin. Well then, why not then come closer to him, to hear better what he says? If even the softest of whispers you can hear about this, then what reason could there be to hold back? Come to him. And come to him knowing that he knows everything about you. Everything in those other books that you did and will do. Jesus knows it all, my friends, and about all of us too. And yet he still came and did what he did. So I don't want to ask you this Good Friday where Jesus is in your eyes but rather where in Jesus' eyes are you? Has Jesus got your name written in his book? Is he calling and calling and calling to you? Then follow him and trust him to save you through this judgment. For he will certainly save all who are his.